Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace, because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died.
but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heidi, for reading. Do you keep your Bibles open there? Um, I have text up in front of me, yes, and I don't not need that. Um, Do keep your Bibles open. It'll be really helpful if you can follow along as we go through this passage together and we look at it together. Good evening, especially if you're visiting with us for the first time. It's lovely to have you here. Um, It's been a great day, hasn't it? All the snow. It's been really lovely. I really mean that. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Um, Rob and I and our kids were sledging at Forge Dam, so we had a lot of fun. We had to hear from God's word, though, and so as we come to his word, uh, let's pray and ask that he would be with us now and help us to hear from him. As you close your eyes, reflect on these words from Isaiah 57, verse 15, where the Lord God says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the awesome Lord who lives in the highest heaven. Father, please will you show us the glory of your Son. Help us to see that he is the king of peace and that nothing will stop his kingdom spreading because of your word. Father, we ask, please give us humble hearts this evening to hear your word, to trust in your son and to be in awe of him. Please be with us now and please be with me as I speak in his name. And we ask this all in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I grew up in the 90s, and there was a TV show that I really enjoyed. It was called Gladiators. I don't know if you, there was something like that in South Africa. I don't know if you had it here in the UK. But the, the premise of the show was that um, the contestants had to face off against these gladiators in different challenges. And one of the, uh, my favorite challenge that I like to watch was called The Gauntlet, where you had this um, soft tunnel where the contestant had to run through And at different points, they were met by a different gladiator. And they just got tougher and tougher as they went along. And they really just got pummeled to bits as they had to try and get from the start to the finish of this gauntlet. Where are you in the gauntlet of life? And I ask that because life can really at times feel like a gauntlet, where you've just gotten one through through one obstacle and you've hit with another. Or maybe it's been a really long term for you. And maybe you've faced different difficulties. And maybe this term has started um, manageable. But something's really just come along and knocked you off your feet. Something you weren't expecting. Maybe that's happened for you personally. Or for your family. Something like that can happen to us even as a church. And the question that we want to be asking ourselves is, what is the thing that's big enough to make us feel so weak and helpless that it's going to knock us off course as Christians, as a church family, and maybe even stop us from sharing the gospel? 
Well, the book of Acts is about how the risen and ascended Lord Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And he is the one who is going to ensure the growth of God's kingdom. It's going to happen as his gospel spreads over all the world. And people come to hear that he is the ruling king. He will do this despite opposition. He will do this as his apostles go out into the world and they witness to his death and resurrection by his spirit's enabling, but also because he is in complete control of everything. He said to the apostles in chapter uh, 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 8, the gospel does spread from Jerusalem to Samaria. But this happens after Stephen is executed, he's killed, he's stoned to death by the Jewish people. And we read in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 9 to 12, it marks another shift, an important shift in the, in the book of Acts and in the expansion of Jesus' kingdom. And our passage this evening, it's bracketed by two verses. Um, you can look them up, just flick there quickly. Uh, chapter 11, verse 29 to 30, and chapter 12, verse 25. And we see there that Paul and Barnabas, they are taking a financial gift from the church in Antioch to believers in Judea. And then in chapter 13, when they've done this, in verse 1 to 3, Paul and Barnabas, they're set apart by the elders in the church at Antioch. And they're set apart by the Holy Spirit's instruction to now go out into all the world and to take the gospel. But before any of this happens, before the gospel spreads in chapter 13 to the rest of the world, Well, we're here in Acts chapter 12, back in Jerusalem and Samaria, and the church is weak and helpless. It suffers a serious blow. In fact, God's people face their most powerful opponent yet, and their most fierce opponent yet, King Herod. It looks like he's going to and is about to stomp out this Jesus movement entirely. Just as momentum has started, he's going to bring it to an end. You see, the passage starts with everything under Herod's control. The apostles are helpless and weak. And the light of the gospel is about to be snuffed out, or so it appears. But at the end of the passage, Herod is dead. And we read that the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You see, this passage is here to assure us that in the face of powerful opposition, things that are bigger than us, stronger than us, fiercer than us, well, King Jesus will extend his kingdom to the ends of the earth through his gospel of peace. And we're going to have a look at this passage under three headings. The first is Herod's defiance, verse 1 to 4. Second, Herod's defeat, verse 5 to 19, and then Herod's demise in verse 19 to 24. 
Let's firstly look at Herod's defiance in verse 1 to 4. We see that in these verses, King Herod does act defiantly, not just against the church, but against the apostles. And as he's acting against the apostles, we're to understand that he's actually acting against the king of God's kingdom himself, Jesus. King Herod is mentioned in verse 1, and he was a powerful and violent man. He was willing to do whatever he needed to oppose Jesus' rule and the growth of his kingdom. This Herod is Herod Agrippa. He was educated in Rome. He was friends with Caesar Tiberius, Caligula, and Claudius. He was very religious and very closely associated with the Pharisees. And he became king over more of Israel and more of the land of Israel than since his grandfather, Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who committed infanticide and killed off those young children when Jesus was born. Also a ruthless man, willing to do whatever he needed to to secure his rule. And yeah, his grandson, well, he uses his power violently to maintain his own rule. We see in verse 1 that he has some in the church arrested. In verse 2, he has James the Apostle killed, likely beheaded, He was the brother of John. And in verse 3, he arrests Peter with the intention of also having him tried and killed. And we're told twice in these verses, in verse 1 and in verse 4, that he intended to harm God's people and his apostles. And he does it because of what it says in verse 3. It met with approval among the Jews. You see, this unprovoked attack on God's people was a political maneuver. He was doing it to secure his own rule. And the church and the apostles, well, they look utterly weak and helpless. If Herod could stop the apostles, presumably the church would collapse. But by targeting the apostles, Herod was directly opposing the message that Jesus is the living king of God's kingdom. And so therefore, he was opposing his rule. See, when countries want to work together and want to work in peace, they'll treat the delegate, or one country will treat the delegate of another country well. They'll welcome them. See, how you treat the messenger shows what you think of the ruler of that country. And here we are seeing a face-off between King Herod and King Jesus. Can you imagine how the church felt at this time? It might not be hard to put ourselves, or sorry, it might be hard to put ourselves in their shoes, particularly as we sat here and forward. I heard recently of a church where people were under constant threat of being arrested and sent back to their home country where it was harder to be a Christian. There was constant pressure, constant change, not knowing if the person you were speaking to today would be there the next. It's not hard to imagine, though, that in time, a law could change, even in this country. 
which might mean that ministers are arrested for refusing, refusing to do what the British government and perhaps other religious leaders have decided to make law. It might not happen in the next five years, but maybe the next ten. How would we feel if we experienced something similar? Um, I have to apologize to Naomi and to Lorna, because imagine if Pete was killed and Johnny was put in prison. A difficult circumstance. What would that mean? Can we imagine those kinds of circumstances as a church? Would that stop us from sharing the gospel? Would we think that all hope is lost? In our confusion, in our anxiety, in our sadness, would we find strength to carry on? It would be very easy to give up and wonder how to keep going. And both James and Peter, they look really weak compared to Herod, don't they? We're meant to see that they're weak because they're not just here to show us a church that is under threat, but they're meant to be a contrast to Herod. They are Christ-like servants, willing to suffer and die to serve Jesus and his church by teaching the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. See, in Mark chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus had promised James that he would suffer for his kingdom and that he was going to learn to serve others instead of wanting to be the most powerful person or next powerful person in Jesus' kingdom, rather. I don't know if you remember the story. James and John, his brother, come to Jesus and they ask to sit on his right and his left in his kingdom. And here James is learning what it means to serve his king and his people. Peter is arrested during the Passover like Jesus. In Mark 14, he failed to follow Jesus to the cross, but now he is willing to lose his life for him and for his gospel. And there's a thread of hope here as we see these gospel servants who are acting in a Christ-like way. Yes, they look weak. But there's a thread of hope. Because you see, when Jesus was opposed, when he was arrested and killed, God brought him back to life. How will God use these circumstances of these disciples who are behaving like his son and acting like his son for his glory? See, as Christians, as a church, we're to realize that there will be increased opposition as Christ-like servants share the message and feed God's people with the message of Jesus. There will be increased opposition from powerful people in the world who are fierce, who will do anything to stop the rule of Jesus and the message of Jesus going out. And they will do this because Jesus' rule is a threat to their own. It might not be powerful people, but other things in our lives that seem bigger and stronger than us. And when we meet these things, and we come up against these things, they might feel us, leave us feeling weak or anxious and confused. 
They might fill us with fear or despair or completely hinder or even stop us from wanting to share the gospel of Christ. And it's at those times we can feel the weight of the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did the Lord allow this to happen? And there might be, as with James's death, not a clear answer to that question. But we need to remember that these people or these things that are stronger than us and might stop us are not ultimately against us. They're against God. And his agenda for his kingdom is that it would spread over all the earth. It is his agenda. There will be opposition. And his choice is to use weak people who are Christ-like and who in their weakness serve him. And when this happens, he acts for the gospel to spread. Even through the evil intentions of wicked people. And so let's secondly look at our next point. Herod's defeat. Herod's defeat. Although Herod is, a, is the most serious opponent to King Jesus so far in Acts, he is hardly a threat to Jesus' rule and the spread of his kingdom. You see, Jesus rescues Peter effortlessly in this passage. And it was completely his doing. Have a look at verse 11 and verse 17. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Then Peter described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. It could only have been the Lord who rescues Peter because he was in an impossibly difficult situation that no human escape plan would have worked. The Lord sends his angel to Peter to bring him out. It wasn't a complete miracle. The chains, the guards, the doors, the gates, even drowsy Peter, who thinks that what's happening is a dream, can't stop this rescue from happening. And the church was powerless in the midst of it. We read in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was weak. They were scared. They couldn't do anything. But they could pray to God. They could look to the one who is in control of all things. And to his people's surprise, he rescues Peter. You wonder what they were praying for that night, for Peter. We're not told. See, James had been killed. Maybe that night they were praying as Peter was in his cell that the trial would go smoothly. That maybe perhaps Peter would get out of being locked up. But if that doesn't happen, maybe, Lord, you would strengthen Peter so that he would die well for the name of Jesus. We see in verse 12 to 16, that Peter, he goes to the house of Mary because he knew that there was a prayer meeting happening there for him. And he knocks on the door. And in a comical retelling of the events, um, the disciples, well, they don't believe that Peter's even there. 
In fact, he's standing outside waiting to be let in while we read verses of all the different reasons of why he's not there. Except for the, we're not given the most logic, or the disciples don't see the most logical reason of all. That the Lord had heard and answered their prayers. They didn't expect him to be rescued. Well, we might, you know, you read this and it is very comical and it's funny, but should they have expected Peter to be standing there? Nathaniel, um, one of the trainees here, he was telling me about how when he was living in Indonesia, um, he heard a knock at the door. And he went to the door and he heard his grandmother's voice on the other side. And in total shock and, and um, I don't know what you were feeling, but perhaps shock and surprise, ran upstairs and went and told his parents that his granny was at the door and left her standing outside. It was a complete surprise. She'd come to visit them and hadn't told anyone. It was unexpected. Our God is able to go far beyond our expectations when we pray and what we think he might do. King Herod is no match for King Jesus. And in verse 17, Peter, in fact, is able to leave Jerusalem, having been rescued. He's the lead apostle, and he's been spared for now, and he's able to take the gospel out of Jerusalem, somewhere else. And in all the commotion of Peter's disappearance, Herod, now in frustration, well, he kills his men, all 16 of them, Four squads of four men. See, the apostles down James. Herod down 16 of his best men. Herod is no threat to King Jesus, and his rule will spread. You see, the big and powerful in the world are no match for him. We are weak and powerless, but the Lord is not. It pleases the Lord to use us in our weakness because it shows how strong He is. You might be facing something that is too big for you. And as a church, we might face things, and I'm sure have faced things in the past, that are much bigger than we can handle. Much stronger than us. But the encouragement here is to look to Him, look to our God and pray to Him eagerly. The wonderful thing is that he is able to do more than we can ask or expect. You see, Jesus is concerned that others will hear his gospel message. He cares deeply about it, more than we do. And he works to protect his people, to provide for them, and to ensure that the gospel will go out. Even if we find that hard to believe or wonder how it can happen. Herod intended to harm the church, but Jesus uses his evil intentions to fulfill his own. More people hearing of his rule and that he is the king worth following. But Jesus isn't done with Herod yet. Let's lastly look at Herod's demise. <clears throat> Herod's demise. So King Herod had lost the battle in the previous verses. 
Uh, but this enemy of the gospel was still on the loose. Herod was wandering around somewhere, and so we wonder, is he going to cause more harm? We see in these verses that Jesus is opposed to those who proudly try to take for themselves his glory. In verse 20 to 23, we're meant to see King Herod as this great Israelite king. Even the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon look to him for food. Now, Tyre and Sidon were important Gentile cities. And in the Old Testament, they were usually the ones who held power over Israel. And so the fact that they are looking to Herod for food and for provision was to show how powerful he is. And again, he uses his power to do harm. In verse 20, where it says that he'd been quarreling with Tyre and Sidon, or the people of Tyre and Sidon, the sense there is that he was in fact furious with these cities. He had a raging anger towards them. And so he goes to them to assert his power and his dominance, even while they're looking to find peace from him. Herod is portrayed as a powerful king, a powerful Israelite king in some respects, but also the worst, because he doesn't lead the Gentiles to worship the Lord, but to worship himself. And in verse 22, the people shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Josephus is a Jewish historian, and he writes about this very incident in his antiquities. And on this occasion, Herod wore robes, royal robes made of silver. And at this event, when the sun rose and caught the clothing, and it just lit up, and it was to make Herod look like a god. He was to beam with the glory of the sun like a god. You see, he stands in direct opposition to Jesus' rule, wanting to worship him. And so Jesus opposes him. We read in verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. See, by ending Herod's life in this way, Jesus is showing us that he is the king of all people. He deserves to be worshipped by all people, from all nations. But Jesus is not like Herod. Herod goes to people in anger to assert his dominance and his pride, to make people fear him and look to him for peace. But in Acts chapter 10, when Peter was speaking to Cornelius, he says to him in verse 36, Cornelius, the Gentile who trusted in the Lord, who trusted in Christ, Peter said to him these words, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. It's the only time that that word peace is tied to the gospel in Acts. You see, Jesus comes to people humbly by dying and dies on a cross to bring peace so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so that we can know him and have a relationship with him. 
and he rose as God's king so that all people can hear this message, can hear this good news, and find peace with God through him. Jesus' victory over Herod is effortless. The greatest of men comes to see that he is just a man. Listen to Herod's own words. In that moment that he realized his own mortality, and this is from Josephus, it says, Herod therefore looked upon his friends and said, I, whom you call a god, am commanded presently to depart this life. While providence thus reproves the lying words you just now said to me, and I, who was by you called immortal, am immediately to be hurried by death. But I am bound to accept that providence allots as it pleases God. See, he knew and he had to come to terms with the fact that he was accountable to the Lord Jesus. Or perhaps you're not a Christian. And it might be that you're here and you, um, you, you're coming here to find out who is Jesus. Perhaps there's been times in your life where you've looked to others, people who are impressive or powerful in life, to give you what you think you need, the life that you think you want. But maybe they've let you down. Maybe they've even mistreated you. You need to see that Jesus is the king who offers real peace. He's not proud or arrogant or domineering, but gracious and kind. And he comes in peace and he dies for our sins. You see, we in our pride, we've rejected him. And we are the ones who try to wear a crown in our own life and rule our own lives without him. Do you need to see that you can't go on rejecting him? He is the king. He rules. And all people are accountable to him. As God's people, we can have assurance that Jesus will ensure his gospel goes out. He will deal justly with those who oppose us and who oppose him. James didn't see, and he didn't get to see Herod's end, but Peter did. See, we might not see how things work out or understand why things have happened in the way that they do. But we know that he is good and he is just and that he cares for us and that he cares for the world to hear of his gospel. I wonder how you feel about the season that we're in. Um, Paul helpfully showed us that video of, you know, what are you expecting and how are you feeling about this Advent time? Are you looking at it just as a time that's, well, heavy? You feel heavy because there's lists and things to do. There's planning and people to see. And perhaps, as I've suggested, maybe you have been through the gauntlet. And it just feels too heavy, too much. And sharing the gospel just feels too big of a thing to do. You're not sure if you can even do it. The wonderful thing is that Jesus is the one who cares that people will hear his gospel. He will make sure that his gospel spreads. It doesn't depend on us. And maybe you can bring yourself, and all you can bring yourself to do is pray. 
A simple prayer, but a sincere prayer that he would work through his word, that people would come to know him. Well, that's okay. You see, he is strong. And he calls us to humbly serve him, whatever the circumstances, praying and knowing that he can do more than we, than he, we ask or expect. And let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are, that you are in control. And we thank you so much and that where we feel weak or appear weak, where we face opposition, that you are able and more than able to work in this world, to protect us, to watch over us, and to see your gospel going out so that others will come to hear of your good and gracious rule and find the forgiveness of sins in you. And we pray that that would happen this Christmas period. And we ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.